Welcome to the Barack Obama Approved World's Greatest Podcast. Hyphenation. Your dashing, daring, and debonair host, Kellen Conley. Morgantown Weather Report. It's cold outside. I'm not outside right now, though. It's uh, 40-some degrees. Had some strong winds come through yesterday and uh, overnight. And so it cooled us back down from our our, uh, middle of winter spring weather which was awesome now we're back to regular business and Sunday the episode should be out already but it's not <laughs> uh, I, I missed playing because I was supposed to record with uh, Marcus and I got sick and I canceled on him and then I the day I had that I could have definitely recorded easily before work I didn't record so there's that And, um, you know, Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group, Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective, bringing great podcasts to the people, hyphenpodcastgroup.com, and then also by Mark Robb, written by my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson. Um, he writes prolific paragraphs of pontifications, and you can find that at themarkrob.wordpress.com. Again, that's the marcrob.wordpress.com. Uh, he's working on new stuff. In case I failed to mention it last time, he was on an episode of It's Like a Podcast, whatever, talking about Watchmen and race. It's really more about race, though, in general. He's on there with Handsome Bane, your main doo-doo stain of a host, K.M. Patton, Everyday Rogue, and Melisette. So it was a, a star-studded cast on Alapal and um that was the most recent episode. Also wanna remind you the second episode of uh the Shredhead podcast is out. It came out yesterday. Going forward looks like we're gonna have the Shredhead podcast on Saturdays and it's like a podcast or whatever on Mondays. So make sure you go check it out. It's called Shredder and Love. Uh, a lot of great work being put in by Hyphen Podcast Group. Unlike but unlike me, who uh is late with this episode and is just trying to uh Put it together. Um, I will say though that I'm a little bit better prepared for this episode, so we're gonna see how this goes. I figure the first half of this podcast will be me trying out another idea. No, I'm not gonna read. I feel like that kind of went terribly. Maybe y'all liked it, maybe y'all didn't. Nobody told me, so maybe y'all hated it. I kind of felt underprepared, and so obviously I kind of threw that together. But uh, hopefully you and en- you enjoyed it for what it was. But I'm gonna try out a new idea I have, and we're gonna call this the curious case of Snoop Lion. So eight or seven years ago now, Snoop Dogg decided he was no longer gonna be Snoop Dogg. He was going to officially be known as Snoop Lion. Now, this came as a surprise to many in the hip-hop community, including myself, because I include myself in the hip-hop community. I'm kidding. But, yeah, February 2012 is when we first announced that he was going to have a documentary called, coming out called Reincarnated. And then on July 31st of 2012, 
he introduced a new stage name, Snoop Lion. It was interesting to me because, arguably, Snoop is one of the most beloved hip-hop artists ever. Like, the dude can literally do no wrong. And it all started one day in Long Beach. <laughs> no, not really Long Beach. But I just want to make sure I, I nail down this date. 1992 is when Dr. Dre and Snoop recorded Deep Cover, which was for the um, Deep Cover soundtrack, I believe. Yeah. And then from there, him and Dre started recording what became Dr. Dre's debut album, The Chronic, for Death Row Records. The Chronic changed everything. Never had there been a more successful West Coast album that wasn't done by NWA. Straight out of Compton, took off around the world. Ice Cube was a household name. I'm not quite sure when Cube went solo and made America's Most Wanted. I feel like it's 91, maybe even 90. But NWA was always the brand, the most successful thing never come out of the West Coast. So when Dr. Dre broke away from Suge, not Suge, broke away from NWA, joined up with Suge and started Death Row Records, well, nobody knew what was going to happen exactly. But then Snoop Dogg kind of breathed life into Dr. Dre. Because one thing about Dre, Dre can record all day long. Or not even record. Dre can produce all day long. He can even write a little bit. But for the most part, in order to get Dr. Dre the successful hip-hop artist slash producer, Dr. Dre needs a writer. And for, Q, for years, Cube and Ren were those writers. But when he went to Death Row, he didn't have them. It was just him. But when he met Snoop, he realized he had met the Golden Goose. So him and Snoop set out to write The Chronic, um, which came out in 1992. And I'm just curious to see how much Snoop gets credited for on The Chronic. Because... I really feel like he had a ton of writing on there. So I'm just going to take a quick perusal at the track listing here. Snoop, 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 Snoop. Oh, number 12 is not Snoop. 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 So out of the 16 songs on the chronic... Snoop Dogg is listed as a songwriter on 13. So naturally, The Chronic became a huge hit with songs like Let Me Ride, Fucking With Dre Day, you know, the infamous videos. And of course, Deep Cover was a hit as well. So naturally, the next thing to do was to record Snoop's debut, which is also called Doggy Style. And as big as... Dr. Dre and The Chronic was, and how much that crossed over across the United States and the world, Doggy Style was even bigger. And Snoop Doggy Dog became a household name. There was nothing that that album couldn't do with singles such as Who Am I, What's My Name, Gin and Juice, 
Doggy Dog World, as well as deep album cuts such as Lottie Dottie, which is his play on Slick Rick. Murder Was the Case, which ultimately uh, became the soundtrack that Death Row released when Snoop was facing murder, murder charges in 1993, 93, 94 when it happened. Uh, what else? Ain't No Fun, If the Homies Can't Have None, a, a world-renowned song that is loved by many. But man, it does, it, it ha, it's still good in 2020. But it doesn't, it shouldn't hold up in 2020 if you know what I mean. Look, I don't have much time, all right? So let me just say something real quick. My name is EG, and I am the host of two shows that are part of the Hyphen Podcast Group. The first show is called Catch the Show. It's a show where I talk about music-related news and pop culture, upcoming tours that you may want to catch shows of, and I tell you about a show that I call it, because it's the number one concert review podcast in the world, and I've reviewed shows from Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to even the Backstreet Boys. So yeah, that's Catch the Show. The other show is called The Underground Monster. Slightly different kind of show, but still music-related. It's where I cover basically underground independent hip-hop, horrorcore and the juggalo culture so yeah if you're interested in either one go to hyphenpodcastgroup.com and or go to your favorite podcast platform and just search for them and hit that subscribe button okay got that cool now let's get you back to the show you were originally listening to well yeah Doggy Style made Snoop Dogg a household name. If he wasn't already from the Chronic, Snoop was one of the biggest rap stars in the world. He caught the murder case, and so he spent most of 1994 worried that he would actually end up going to jail as an accessory to murder. But he was acquitted of all charges February 1996. Snoop said he did not want to continue living a gangster lifestyle. As he felt that continuous behavior would result in his assassination or a prison term. Short time later, November 1996, Snoop released his second album, his long-awaited second album. So he drops Doggy Style in 1993. 1996, the dog father happens. And it's pretty much panned. Nobody really loved Doggy or loved the dog father. Dre had left. Um Snoop, uh, I mean, Pac was dead by this point when the album dropped. And so most albums produced by Daz Dillinger and DJ Pooh. I mean, when you have a leadoff single called Snoop's Upside Your Head, eh, maybe, maybe something's a little off. So next couple of years, Snoop ends up not feuding with, uh, with Suge Knight, but uh, decides that he wants to, um, you know, he, he wants to part ways with Death Row. And Master P and No Limit is able to help him do that. So in March 1998, he released his first No Limit Records album, The Game Is To Be Sold, Not To Be Told, which was a success and welcome much better than um, The Dogfather was. But it wasn't quite what everyone wanted from Snoop Dogg. But in 1999, that's when we got No Limit Top Dog, which is a return to form of the pre- Dogfather Snoop Dogg music with the when he reunited with Dr. Dre 
along with several of the West Coast homies. And ultimately, this album was responsible for Dr. Dre being able to put out The Chronic 2001. And so these two albums are like companions, with the final pieces being The Last Meal in 2000, which was his final No Limit Records album. So after that, after he uh, hung out with P for a few years, reunited with Dr. Dre, Snoop goes and starts starts doing his own thing. So 2002, he paid the cost to be the boss. Had singles like From the Church to the Palace. Beautiful. June 2004, he signs to Geffen. So he's hopping labels. He can do whatever he wants now. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. Releases RNG, Rhythm and Gangster, the masterpiece. Has his first number one single, Drop It Like It's Hot. Drops signs as well. And let's not forget other singles, such as Let's Get Blown. So Snoop is still on a roll. Even after facing a murder charge and getting acquitted, coming with a very weak sophomore album, going to No Limit Records of all places and resurrecting his career. Snoop is on top of the world. He can do no wrong. He even makes a 213 album. 213, of course, being the group he was in with Warren G and Nate Dogg for ever since they were little kids. Called The Hard Way in 2004. So, 2004, first number one record, does the group album. Meanwhile, he marries his childhood sweetheart, but Snoop literally becomes a pimp. Now, mind you, Snoop has always been known as a gangster. I don't know so much about dealing, but Snoop was definitely a gangster when in his youth. Claimed Crip his whole career. Still crossed over. Still one of the most beloved hip-hop people ever. While smoking a ton of weed. <laughs> still appreciated. But Snoop, Snoop becomes a literal pimp. Like, he spent a whole year as a pimp and almost divorced his wife to keep pimping. Before he was like, you know what? Maybe I need to fall back. I- I'm just saying. 2006, the Blue Carpet Treatment comes out. Uh, had a couple joints on it. Uh, you might remember That's That Shit. Um, it had a, uh, your boy R. Kelly on it. Not your boy. He shouldn't be anyone's boy. But R. Kelly was featured on it. Uh, Vato. Vato, I remember that. I Wanna Love You. I Wanna Love... Uh, is that the Akon song? I believe that, yeah, that is Akon song. And then that's that shit. And he had Candy and Boss's Life. And from what I recall, the blue carpet treatment was really well received by everyone. Everyone's like, oh man, like, you hear that new Snoop? You hear that new Snoop? And I hadn't remembered a Snoop Dogg album being like that in a minute. Like, even when RNG was out, people were talking about Drop It Like It's Hot. No one was talking about how good the album was as a whole. So I was really excited for Snoop to have a good album. And I, I checked it out. And I was pleasantly surprised. Now, one thing about Snoop, he never lacks in musical output. Aside from, let's see, Doggy Style was 93. He didn't release The Dogfather until 96, so that's three years. He came back two years later with his first Death Row album, then proceeded to go 98, 99, 2000 with albums. Comes back in 2002 after a two-year break, and then does it again two years later in 04 and in 06. And now in 07, Snoop drops... Um, ego tripping. 
And Ego Trippin' was special because this is the era, by now we've, we've had T-Pain out. By now, Kanye may have been messing with the auto-tune a little bit. This is before we actually got um, 808s and Heartbreaks. Ego Trippin' gave us sexual eruption or sensual seduction, which was arguably the most left-field Snoop Dogg song ever because Snoop was literally singing. He had some assistance on there, but sensual seduction is a jam and a half. When sensual seduction came out, everyone was pleasantly surprised because one thing Snoop Dogg knows how to do, it's he knows how to stay relevant. Now, that was in 07 when he came out with Ego Trippin'. I lied. It was 2008 when he came out with Ego Trippin'. So again, he takes another two years and does Ego Trippin' in 2008. Ego Trippin' is followed by Malice in Wonderland in 2009. And I don't remember Malice get, being as love, but he had another call. He had some joints again. He had Gangsta Love. I Want to Rock, which I remember I Want to Rock being a big song. I think there's a, a remix that has Jay-Z on it. Um, so I, I remember I Want to Rock being a, a really big single because I was still doing radio in those days. So I remember that. And there was a single pronto. So even with him going back to his tried and true formula, like he did on Malice in Wonderland, he still finds a way to win. Another thing, I don't know if you remember a little record that came out in 2010 called Teenage Dream by a set artist called Katy Perry. Katy Perry tied Michael Jackson's record for most number one singles from an album. California Girls, Teenage Dream, Firework, E.T., Last Friday Night, and she almost got six. Second album in history produced five number one singles after Michael Jackson's 87 album, Bad. Now, I tell you that to say this. Guess who's on the first single? California Girls. You got it. Snoop Dogg. There's nothing that Snoop Dogg cannot do at this point. So, Malice in Wonderland comes out in 2009. What does he follow up with? A re-release called More Malice which featured five new tracks, four remixes, one song included on Malice in Wonderland, and a movie. So if anybody out there has a more Malice movie review for me, let me know. And actually, the I Wanna Rock remix is on there, and that's the one that Jay-Z was on. So Snoop was... So that came out in 2010, so Snoop was definitely about his paper and striking while the iron was hot. Snoop Dogg, while he's beloved, while he can be a great rapper and make great songs, he's also very business-minded. Now, I tell you that because in 2011, he released a documentary. And I remember this era because it was around the time that Snoop had met Wiz, and him and Wiz were hanging out all the time, and they ended up making high school, and... um. Yeah, Mac and Devin go to high school and then doing a soundtrack and stuff like that. But the documentary, I really thought that was a great album. 
Um, maybe that's just me, but I felt like the way that it was produ- produced and put together, I really thought it had a great sound to it. Uh, the singles off the documentary was Wet and Boom. So I don't think it did that great as far as singles go, but I thought it was a continuous piece of music. I thought it was ultimately a great Snoop Dogg album, which made 2012 even weirder. And I feel like I couldn't just jump into this without talking about what came before. In 2012, Snoop took a trip to Jamaica. Him and Daz and Snoop's family all left the confines of Los Angeles to go to the island of Jamaica. Because according to Snoop, in interviews after this era, Snoop said he was tired of the telling the life of the gangster and telling this life of the pimp and all the things he had seen over the years. He felt like at the time as a 41-year-old man that he could not rightfully be that guy to still do Snoop Dogg raps. He wanted to do something that was give him more peace and love and unity. So Snoop decided he was going to become a Rastafarian. Rastafarian. I'm not sure how to say it, but I'm going to say it like that. And he didn't just say, you know, I'm Rastafarian now. And, you know, you might run into the, not even, not now, probably. But, especially in the 90s or when you're in college, you'd run into to the white the white boys, the white girls who Bob Marley everywhere, yellow, green, and red everywhere in the room on the clothes, bunch of tie-dye. And they're saying, oh man, I mean they don't talk Jamaican, but you know they're they're trying to go for the Jamaican lifestyle. And most of the time, it's still a, it's just a phase for people. So when Snoop said he was going to become a Rastafarian, most people thought it was a phase or a gimmick. But let me tell you what Snoop did. He took a Vice camera crew to Jamaica with him to film everything because he was doing this documentary, Reincarnated. While he was there, he filmed himself in the studio, at the resort where they were staying, lots of footage of Daz. The album was produced by Diplo and Major Major Laser. A lot of... Of him in the film, Snoop traveling to meet people like Bunny Whaler, one part of the original Whalers with Peter Tosh and Bob Marley, going into the city, working with young reggae artists, on the spot recording things. And it really seems like Snoop was being authentic about this. But here's the thing. Snoop, while authentic, only seemed authentic about everything while he was there when he came back to the states and suddenly he's like oh i'm no long i'm a i'm now snoop lion people laughed i laughed because how could snoop dogg one of the biggest rap stars in the world suddenly become snoop lion become this other artist now we've been through artists with multiple name changes when i first heard the name sean combs his stage name he was puffy and he was Puff Daddy, and then he became P. Diddy, and then he became just Diddy. And then 
He was love. And now people call him Puff. Still, people call him Puffy. Some people call him Puff Daddy. He wanted to be called Puff Daddy again when he was getting ready to release that No Way Out 2 to materialized. So we were used to it. But Snoop Dogg, who had to change his name for legal reasons from Snoop Doggy Dogg, which was owned by Death Row, to Snoop Dogg when he moved to No Limit. Why would he be Snoop Lion all the time? And mind you, this is another, this is a part of an era where Snoop already was known as many aliases. Wu-Tang had already came in with all the aliases and rappers having different names that they're known by is not, is not that weird. But to release a whole album under, underneath the Snoop Lion identity, it was interesting and it felt unauthentic. When I watched the reincarnated documentary, Snoop Dogg does seem very authentic about wanting to make reggae and about being on the island and and Major Gong Studios and going to see um, Bunny Whaler and you know just soaking up the culture and the game and he he gets um, I don't want to say anointed a Rastafarian he gets rechristened Snoop Lion by a Rastafarian priest in Jamaica. I mean, him and Daz are riding around the island and smoking tons of weed and Snoop's making music and he has his daughter and his wife singing on his records. But here's the funny thing about that. As authentic as that experience was in 2012 when this was filmed, 2012-2013, by the time we actually got to reincarnated the album, it's April 23rd. 2013, which is ironically enough, me and Angel's uh, 10th wedding or 10th dating anniversary. And while it still retained a lot of sound that that was seen in the documentary, and the documentary only came out like a month before the album came out, but this is now looking at, I'm looking at it through the lens of, I heard the album and I just recently revisit Reincarnated because I, I was just looking for some kind of music documentary to watch. And I was like, oh, I think I haven't watched Reincarnated in a while. And if you just look at the track listing, Movado and Popcan, that's fine. Drake, hmm, Mr. Vegas, that's fine. Collie Buds, Akon, Rita Ora. Miley Cyrus, Busta Rhymes, and Chris Brown. So it seems like Snoop went recorded this album, brought it to his label at the time, which was Berhane Sound System RCA. And they looked at him and said, Snoop Dogg, you crazy. It is 2012. No one is selling records like that. And for the record, I don't think this album sold hardly anything. As of May 2015, the album sold 104,000 copies in the United States. So add digital to that, it could be gold at this point. And we know that gold and platinum don't matter like it did in the late 90s, early 2000s, especially once 50 started putting all that stuff out to everybody. But the label said, Snoop Dogg, we're not going to be able to sell this album. And so Snoop caved. And then as time went on, 
he was so far away from announcing he was Snoop Lion to when there was going to be actual Snoop Lion product out there that Snoop got a little antsy and the record was changing. Bunny Whaler disowned him. Several members of um, several Rastas, several Jamaicans said that Snoop did wrong by the culture and essentially was using them as a ploy to reinvent himself to sell records in a different way. And that's what it felt like from the outside in. But like I said, what happened in Jamaica with Snoop, I feel like was from an authentic place. But once he got back to the hustle and bustle and his lawyers and his business and the label, Snoop Lion realized he wasn't going to be able to sell this record. So he had to add some things to it. And then Snoop Dogg still had show commitments. So you can't lean into one persona of being about peace and a Rastafarian as Snoop Lion. But then go do It Ain't No Fun as Snoop Dogg on this tour or at these dates. I mean, you can, but it's a contradiction. Capitalism got the best of Snoop Dogg here. I believe that Snoop really did feel like he was at a point where he wanted to change and do things differently in his life. But Snoop has constantly evolved himself as an artist. He actually just released, and not just, but he released an album just last year, which I had no clue about until I was researching this. I Want to Thank Me, which is Snoop Dogg's Let's see, 17th studio album. Snoop Dogg's made 17 albums in 28 years. And that doesn't include any collaborations or mixtapes or anything like that. Just, that's just studio albums that actually have the Snoop Dogg name. 17 albums. The longevity is there. He's the may be the most beloved black person on this planet by white people. I'm just going to say. Snoop could walk into a KKK rally or anti-black rally, smoke them out, and they would all take pictures and put it in writing that they love Snoop Dogg. Snoop transcends race with what he's been able to do with his, his career. And it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But Snoop still got to sell his records. Snoop is on TV. I don't know if Joker's Wild is still on, but he was doing that Joker's Wild thing for a while. He has the Martha Stewart thing. Snoop is not by any means struggling for money. But Snoop, Snoop still loves to do music. And as long as Snoop still loves to do music, Snoop's going to do music. So. As the Rastas and Bunny Whaler came after Snoop, and shortly after the release of Reincarnated in 2013, and after it was not well-received, soon Snoop was saying that Snoop Lion was just a different persona of, of himself and stepped away again from the music and just kind of did Snoop Dogg things. And pretty soon, Snoop Lion was a distant memory. 
In 2015, he released Bush, which was an all Pharrell Williams produced album. It's incredible. It got heavily slept on. And it's also in the vein of Reincarnated. Because if you look at Reincarnated and then look at Bush as a whole, Snoop is still doing more melodies and singing and less cursing on Bush, just like he did on Reincarnated. It's just without a Rasta vibe and with one of the greatest producers of all time. Not a bad thing. But while saying that, Bush still fell on deaf ears. And ever since then, Snoop hasn't really, you know, been relevant musically. But he's been busy. 16, he put out Kool-Aid. 17, he put out Never Left. Kool-Aid was fine. Never Left, I really liked. The Bible of Love barely featured him with what was was called a gospel album before um before um Kanye's album. What the hell is that album called? God is Love. Why well, can't I remember the name of Kanye's album? Jesus is Love. There it is. Before Kanye, uh the full year before Kanye, he um had a, a gospel album. And then just this past year he dropped I Wanna Thank Me. So Snoop is still continuing to do music. Snoop is still continuing to do get his paper. But in conclusion, part of me wonders how things would look if Snoop had actually stayed committed to the Rastafarian lifestyle. If his bank and business and capitalism didn't get the best of him to swerve back towards Snoop Dogg. If he actually was like, look, I'm not doing any more Snoop Dogg stuff. If you want to work with me, it's going to be Snoop Lion. I am a reggae artist now. I am a Rastafarian. How different would his life look now? Because here we are, eight years removed from the announcement, and seven years removed from when the movie and the album came out. And Snoop is known as hip-hop's favorite pothead, America's favorite pimp, as Rolling Stone put it. But to see him remain in that role and maybe take a conscious effort to spread reggae music as Snoop Lion instead of being like, well, I tried, and then they mess with it, and now I'm out. I wonder if Snoop could have led a little bit of a reggae comeback. And I'm not a big reggae guy, but I do enjoy reggae. But I always feel like reggae was a a time, its biggest time was before me, of course, with Bob Marley and the Wailers and Peter Tosh. I feel like that was all right before me, before I came into musical acknowledgement. So what if Snoop in 2013 stuck with it and stayed Snoop Lion? Does he influence a new reggae revolution? And I know that a lot of um, British rap right now has that has that influence, and Drake has taken that influence as well. But it's not the same thing. And even Snoop's wasn't classic reggae. But if someone actually tried to do it based off what Snoop Dogg did, it could be pretty incredible. 
But ultimately, I'm just rambling. Snoop Lion went back to Snoop Dogg, and Snoop Dogg has since released an album every year since 2015. Snoop still gets his paper. I haven't heard anything from Bunny Whaler in a while. I don't even know if Bunny Whaler is still alive. Hope he is. Or any other Rastafarians about being mad at Snoop Dogg. But you know, it it was a time. And it, it could have led to something entirely different for Snoop. Nope, he's still kicking. 72 years old. But instead, he smartly doubled down on his brand. Keeps betting on himself. And keeps making music, which I think is still important. So... So, that's the curious case of Snoop Lion. And I hope you enjoyed that because I have an idea for possibly another pod that is kind of based on that, talking about diff- different things in hip hop. And um, I-, I did do a lot of talking as far as his early career and stuff, but I, I really. I feel like if I just jumped in and said Snoop Lion did this in 2012 and then Snoop Dogg uh, came back in 2013, 2014, you know, um, I didn't feel like it, did, it would do it justice. So I want to give you all the backstory and then kind of expound on my thoughts on that. So hopefully you enjoyed that. And uh, if you did, let me know. Because you're going to get more. Anyway. Next topic. Before the next topic. I do want to say I just did a ton of speculating without mentioning Nate Dogg, who passed in March of 2011. Nate's death and the death of his childhood friend probably was a major factor on Snoop's move to Snoop Line as well. Nate is mentioned multiple times in the movie, and I think it actually ends at Nate Dogg's funeral in 2011 and reincarnated. I just thought I would add that in because, man, if I lost my best friend, it might make me want to change my whole life too. Just a thought. Next topic for real now. All right. So I mentioned last episode that I had no idea who my... 2019 best in the world was and for those for those of you who are unfamiliar every january at least for the last two januaries i name the best in the world which essentially is the best wrestler of the previous year the first year was kind of unofficial and it was before 2017, but I remember talking a lot about Cody Rhodes and his run since he left WWE and he had went to ROH and I think this is before um, Bullet Club or the Elite or anything, but just how much I had enjoyed his work and I think he had just captured the Ring of Honor um, World Championship. So I always recognize Cody as the 20. 16 best in the world. In 2017, that honor went to Chris Jericho, which was announced in early 2018. For 2018, the best in the world went to the first woman to win the award, 
Becky Lynch, who had an incredible 2018. And now here we are. So I mentioned I had no idea who was going to be my best in the world. Who's the best wrestler in the world? And I started throwing some candidates out on IG the other day. Oh, and just in case you want to, at the hyphen on Instagram. That's how you get a hold of me. But I was like, oh, well, you know, John Moxley had a pretty damn good year after leaving WWE and no longer being Dean Ambrose and then showing up at Double or Nothing, the new All Elite Wrestling, their first official pay-per-view. And he attacked Kenny Omega. So I was like, oh, man, he had a really good year. Now, a friend of mine... um. Oh, his name is escaping me now. Ben. 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 I know his name's Ben. I can't think of his last name. I'm sorry, buddy. Ben messaged me and was like, oh, well, you know, a lot of the matches Moxley had were squ- were squashes. So I don't know how much you want to count those and everything. I mean, he had a few pay-per-view matches, but he just didn't see... He didn't see it as far as my excitement with Moxley. So I took that in consideration. Yeah, he don't have it on his IG either. I'd have to look to actually find it. And then he was like, I believe he asked me what about Chris Jericho. If Jericho were the win, the best of the world this year, he would be a two-time best of the world champion. The first ever to win it twice. And as great as Jericho's work has been in AEW, he may have passed Moxley, but he wasn't the best in the world. He was close, but he wasn't the best in the world. And then what about Becky Lynch? Becky, um, by the time January had ended last year, she had lost her SmackDown Women's Championship. And then ultimately, Charlotte was the one who got the SmackDown Women's Championship. She was playing injured for a while. Went into WrestleMania to face Ronda Rousey and Charlotte for both belts. Which ultimately headlined WrestleMania 36, 35. Which was a big deal. But the match wasn't perfect. The card was too long before it. It was a great moment, but from it emerged Becky Two Belts. But then the weird thing with Becky Two Belts, man. Becky never stopped being the man for one second all through 2019. But they had her lose one of the belts to Charlotte. So she just had the Raw Championship. She feuded with several wrestlers, but... Never with Ronda, who ultimately broke her hand in that WrestleMania match and has not wrestled since WrestleMania. Even though I keep seeing things about her planning a return, we just don't know when. So her main rival that kind of propelled her to be the best in the world in 2018 was no longer there. All the feuds she could have had that would have really been worth, that would have been best world worthy, they avoided until recently. Like right now, she's feuding with Asuka, finally. And Asuka beat her at the Royal Rumble to take the 
um, World Heavyweight Championship, the Women's uh, SmackDown Championship offer last year. And now they're finally coming back to that a year later. And here we are, they're going to face off at the Royal Rumble again. So, there was just no worthy opponents. There was uh, Survivor Series stuff with going against Heel Bailey and Shayna Baszler. But nothing can match her coming down and getting her nose broken or face broken by Nia and then the blood and her just beating the ever-living hell out of Rousey. You just can't replicate that again. And they didn't try, but just none of the other feuds just really smacked like that. And then WWE decided to get behind the fact that her and Seth had come out as a, not even come out, that had went public as a couple. And so, what was it, like a, a few weeks after, or the week after Seth beat Brock at WrestleMania to win the Universal Championship, she posted the picture of her kissing him after the match in Gorilla, and it was like, oh, really sweet. And they were together at the Hall of Fame and stuff, and there was speculation. And there was a speculation before they were dating, but I'm on the, on the dirt sheets. But they just, they really got behind it, and it ultimately stalled Becky because Becky had become the man on her own. And then to see her tied to a man romantically all of a sudden on in character, it really hurt her a little bit. It made her, it took away her edge a little bit. And for Seth, who ultimately was being cheered wildly as a face, as the man who cleanly pinned Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 35, uh, the Beast Slayer had all the momentum going into the new into this new season this new WWE season. It slowed Seth down too because all of a sudden you have Seth who had been busting his ass for months. I mean, after he beat Triple H at uh, Mania a few years ago, he had, um, I mean, he went face, he lost his finisher he got stuck in tag teams with Jason Jordan and and Dean Ambrose, and he was mid-card, and then all of a sudden he became Monday Night Rollins with the Intercontinental Championship, and that was over as soon as it, almost as soon as it happened, and then he he just spent a lot of time cl- earning the fans' respect, and then all of a sudden you time the Becky, and you have the hottest thing in WWE, and you put Seth Rollins with it. And now the Beast Slayer looks like the Beast Slayer in love. And then the man looks like the man in love. And nobody wanted to see that on WWE television. Here both their characters. It helped turn crowds on Seth. Especially with the arrival of the next guy I'm going to talk about. And ultimately they of course corrected things by making Seth a heel. With uh, author, Authors of Pain, AOP. And now Seth is a championless, uh, a beltless heel when he had all the momentum to be this giant face coming out of WrestleMania, just like Becky had all this momentum to be a giant, whatever she wanted to be. And they both slowed each other down. But of course, the gentleman that turned everyone on Seth was one Bray Wyatt, who had an incredible 2019, especially once he debuted his alter ego, The Fiend, 
which has elevated him to the top of the WWE card again for the first time since that small run he had as WWE um, champion a few years ago when he was feuding Randy Orton. And The Fiend, it started in Firefly Funhouse and Wowie Zowie, Yowie Zowie, Zowie Wowie, whatever he says. And the crowd just getting behind it and him being this twisted Mr. Rogers character. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't think Firefly Funhouse was going to work. I was like, this is whack. This is dumb. This is a stupid repackage. It's not going to happen. But then over time, man, especially once The Fiend started showing up and wrecking dudes, sent Finn Balor back to NXT. <laughs> That's the last time Finn's been on the main card. Um, not to call NXT not the main card, but that was the last time was uh, he lost to The Fiend. Uh, the Fiend, of course, had an awful match with Seth where he got the hell beat out of him and then the ref stopped the match and Seth retained and nobody wanted Seth to retain. So everybody turned on Seth and cheering, cheering Bray and then Bray got his rematch and beat Seth and then feuded with Daniel Bryan. and There's nothing that The Fiend hasn't been able to pull off. And again, I didn't think it was going to work, but credit to Bray Wyatt and The Fiend we're taking this crazy twisted idea and getting it over as the most popular thing in WWE in 2019. But look, none of them is winning this. 2019, best in the world, given to the best wrestler in the world, in my opinion, is Kofi Kingston. And I've talked till I was blue in the face. I didn't even talk until I was blue in the face on episode 91. About Kofi winning and how much it meant to me that someone that looked like me was the WWE champion. No shade at The Rock. The Rock is part black, but The Rock doesn't look like me. And I was just so happy and it was such a moment. And it all happened, man, because Mustafa Ali got injured. He couldn't go in a gauntlet match. So, oh no, he couldn't go in an elimination chamber match. And so, Kingston was uh, selected as a replacement. Then they threw Kofi in a gauntlet match that week leading into it. They let Kofi run with it. And, you, you know, man, Kofi went deep in that gauntlet match. He lasted over an hour. He beat Daniel Bryan, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, and then AJ ultimately eliminated him. And then at Elimination Chamber, this is when the Kofi Mania started rolling out. Came out as the third entry. He eliminated Randy, lasted to the final two until Daniel Bryan beat him. And then he beat Daniel Bryan in a six-man tag team match, and Kofi was granted a championship shot at Fastlane, but was replaced during his contract signing by returning Kevin Owens per the order of Vince McMahon. And then this is when everybody's saying, oh, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. The push for Kofi to get that shot at Mania was on. He went on the Edge and Christian show, Pot of Awesomeness, I believe. 
talking about how great it was that the fans were behind him, and he really hoped that he got his chance to go to Mania and everything, and and it was a really cool interview. that I actually recommend that if you go check out that Kofi Kingston interview. It was from, like, um, it was right after Elimination Chamber, so sometime in February, and Kofi and Edge are longtime friends, and they just kind of talk things out, but Vince just kept finding ways in classic Mr. McMahon fashion to keep Kofi out of this match, and it just looked bad. And Co- and he even calls Kofi a B plus player, and it was shades of, of not quite shades, but some slight shades of Triple H talking to Booker T and talking down to him, leading to WrestleMania 19, and telling Kofi he wasn't good enough and he wasn't their kind of champion. He would never be champion. And so, at Fastlane, Kingston was apparently added to the title match, and but he entered the ring, and it was announced he faced the bar in a handicap match, and he lost that to the bar. We're now broken up. Cesaro is back on the mid-card by himself, and Sheamus just re-debuted over on SmackDown. And then, McMahon told Kingston to earn a WWE Championship match at WrestleMania if he beat Sheamus, Cesaro, Rowan, Samoa Joe and Randy Orton in another gauntlet match. And I remember watching the episode. Kofi beat every single one of them. And then he put Daniel Bryan in a match and Bryan beat him. And then finally, at, the suspense was just amazing for this, man. Because something bad would happen to Kofi every week. And every week we didn't know if it was over or not. We assumed it could be. And they weren't going to go through with it. And they would give... Daniel Bryan, somebody else, wrestle WrestleMania. But finally, Mr. McMahon announced a gauntlet match for Big E and Xavier Woods. They were able to defeat five other teams, including Bryan and Rowan, to give Kingston a championship match against Bryan at WrestleMania 35. And can I say that the New Day, shout out to Xavier Woods recovering from his injury, and Big E. They were just as important to Kofi winning this match as Kofi, man. Not winning this match, but winning this award. Because Woods and, and Big E have always said about Kofi, he deserves to be a WWE champion since they've been together. And Lord, how long has the New Day been together now? Five years? Is that right? This will be their fifth year? Fourth year? Something like that? And to see them be the ones who ultimately get Kofi to shot, and then... To see the <laughs> the writing for Kofi was just majestic, man. There's so many times with WWE that they don't get it. But when they get it, God, it's amazing. And they got it so right with Kofi. And I, I gave Daniel Bryan his credit before, but all credit due to Daniel Bryan. Him and Kofi steal the entire WrestleMania card at the match of the night. I have not been on that much on the edge of my seat since I watched CM Punk and Chris Jericho wrestle in Miami at WrestleMania 28. I was so fearful Punk would lose and I was so fearful Kofi would lose here. It was stunning to see Kofi win. And then Kofi didn't just win. Because this is the reason why I'm giving them the best in the world, man. 
And, and we can complain and bitch and everything about how it ended. But look, Kevin Owens beat him at Money at the Bank. Dolph Ziggler beat him at Super Showdown and at Stomping Grounds. Stream Rules beat Samoa Joe. Smackville, which I still can't believe was really called, that's what they really called a pay-per-view. Beat Dolph Ziggler and Samoa Joe. SummerSlam. He got, that's when it ended in a double count out against Randy Orton. Of course, Orton was the guy who always looked stupid. You know, had, it was his biggest feud of his career up until him winning this belt. And then at Clash of Champions, Kofi beat Orton. So from April 7th through September 15th, Kofi Kingston defended the WWE Championship. Which was incredible. There was grown men crying in bars. There was pictures of MVP and Shad Gaspar. I think that's who was together. But MVP crying because he never thought he'd see the day that there was a a champion that looked like him. And I say that because I don't want to call it a black champion. Because The Rock technically is a black WWE champion. He was the first. But it was just a monumental day, man. Like... And then the fact that they gave him the ball and ran with it, he didn't have the best storylines. But you know what? He stayed true to himself. He played his role perfectly. The fun-loving New Day member face. He just so happened to be the WWE champion. And he took on every challenger and beat them. For a full 180 days. I was counting along on my Twitter. How many days Kofi was the champion. And then what happened was. Fox bought Smackville. (laughs) Fox bought Smackdown. And when that happened. Well. Kofi didn't really factor into their plans anymore because one thing that happened over the course of Kofi's reign, and this isn't his his fault or anybody else's fault exactly other than bad writing, WWE was really terrible for a long-ass time after WrestleMania. Raw was bad. SmackDown was bad. It was damn near unwatchable for a while because... I mean, they had brought in Paul Heyman, then they brought in Bischoff, but didn't bring in Bischoff, but Bischoff was there, but Bischoff wasn't doing anything. There were so many different stories that went along with why this program was so bad, and the ratings just tanked. They tanked to, like, lows that hadn't been seen, and everybody starts freaking out because SmackDown's moving to Fox, and and what are they going to do? We got we got to get more eyes on the product and everything. Not realizing that hey, if we just put on a put out the best program product we can do instead of trying to bring back so and so and so and so and trying to get eyes on the TV for brief moments, 
that people would watch, you know? And it's evident now because to replace SmackDown, they brought NXT to Wednesdays on USA. And for a while, all the wrestling was beating NXT. And I think there's still weeks that they're losing NXT. But, or to all the, but NXT is making it by not changing what was working on the network. They're still doing the exact same show. They still have the exact same plan. They're not oversaturating their two hours with all the wrestlers they can or all these gimmicks. Everything that happens on that show happens for a purpose. And that wasn't happening for months and months on SmackDown or Raw. And Kofi suffered for it. So what does Vince do when Vince gets nervous? Vince calls Brock Lesnar. I'm Thomas DJ, top professional. I'm Scott McGregor, talented amateur. And we'd like to invite you to join us for our journey through every adventure of the Avengers. No, not that Avengers. You won't find any tights, magic hammers, or fancy shields here. But you will find some supervillains and some hot women in tight leather, so there is that. And champagne. Oh, yeah, lots of champagne. With Umbrella, Charm, and Bowler, that other Avengers podcast, covering the seminal spy series that lasted from 1961 to 1969 on an episode-by-episode basis. Join us as we explore the television series that helps shape pop culture. I mean, an icon out of Diana Rick, Honor Blackman, and Patrick Dean. With Umbrella, Charm, and Bowler. That other Avengers podcast, coming straight towards you every month. Only on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. And so, ultimately, on the, what, what, what was it, the 20th anniversary of SmackDown? Is that what it was? I can't remember. Yeah, the 20th anniversary. The first show on Fox. Before, like, Brock beats Kofi in like seven seconds. And takes the belt off of him. And that's that. Kofi never gets a rematch. I don't even think Kofi cut a program a program a promo. Kofi just took that L. Moved on. And now he's part of the five time WWE SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Again with Big E because Xavier Woods is still out with his injury. And it's cool. But ultimately. Kofi's championship run seems like a distant memory. And you can show me all these other clips or be like, look what Bray Wyatt did. What Bray Wyatt did was super cool. But. That's just another, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Not to take anything away from Bray. Not to take anything away from Jericho, but Jericho is a veteran who is put as the lead in a new stable and told, hey, 
we need a strong champion to lead us into this new venture. Do your thing, Hill Chris Jericho. And we're getting late champion. Bray Wyatt took a really weird idea and has gotten it over. And is one of the creepiest champions of all time. But Bray hasn't shown me anything in the actual ring. You can gimmick me to death and Bray's won his fair share of matches and things like that. But there's no moment you point to and be like, oh my god, that was that was a really the dope moment of 2019 for Bray. Even when he won the Universal Championship, it was kind of like, well, they, they did the right thing. It wasn't, it didn't have the same impact as Kofi. Kofi took that belt back to his home country where he hadn't been in years to visit. And he went and took it to all these kids and showed them, look, I'm from here just like you and look what I was able to do. And you can say everything about, oh, it's scripted and like he didn't earn that. And it's just a fake championship. Doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any prestige or anything. To those kids, they see someone that looks like him, looks like, looks like them, holding a huge championship belt. If they know anything in WWE or wrestling or professional wrestling in general, and they see someone that looks like them holding a championship belt, you know what they're thinking? I can do anything I want to. Kofi was a victim of circumstance. It's ultimately why his run ended. They thought bringing back Brock would be better. And then having him go against Velasquez would be even better. And he'll rating, he'll bring, oh, that's good shit. Bringing all the ratings, you know. But if they had stayed the course with Kofi, what if Kofi was still, the, uh, this, this is my other big what if of the episode. What if Kofi had still stayed champion? What if we were looking at Kofi rolling into 2020 as the champion. What? How would that hurt SmackDown? Whereas Raw, ironically enough, um, Raw has Brock as he, as the WWE champion. And once again... We're back in the exact same place where we were at when we were going to Mania last year with the champion not being on TV. But obviously, creative prefers that because Brock's such an attraction. They'd rather not have the championship around and have better ratings in their minds versus keeping a consistent product on TV that features the main card championship. But if Kofi was still the WWE champion over on SmackDown, there's just so many different things could be happening. Like, The Fiend could have already faced Brock. You could be leading to The Fiend versus Brock at, at WrestleMania 36. Maybe you... I don't know, man. Like, I was scared to death the night after WrestleMania 36 when Seth and Kofi were supposed to face off 
And I was like, yo, they're going to take that belt off of off Kofi and give it to Seth and have him have two belts and have Becky have two belts. I really thought it, that was the thing about Kofi's run. It could be over at any time. But Kofi gave us 180 days as a fighting champion, as a face, throwing pancakes, giving Randy Orton the middle finger. And I, I'm not afraid to admit it wasn't everything I wanted it to be as far as his run. But that built up to that moment of him winning that championship and then them unveiling that he wasn't going to have the planet-friendly belt and he's going to get the OG and then his kids in the ring. And then the next night when they celebrated, when they came out, and then the next night when they hit SmackDown and was celebrating... Do I wish Kofi wouldn't have thrown so many pancakes? Sure. Do I wish he would have... I don't know. Not dressed in suits, but... Do I wish he would have toned down the New Day stuff in favor of the belt? Sure. But... He still threw his pancakes. Still came out smiling. Still came out to the New Day music. Never once... Did he put a, like, they switch him back to his own music or anything like that because he was the champion. Kofi stayed on brand the whole time. And you can say what you want about how he won or for how long he had it or how it ended, like I said. But Kofi earned the best in the world. And even if you don't think he did while he was champion, his work from go on the match before Elimination Chamber until the week after WrestleMania was gold. And the only time it wasn't gold after that is when they gave him nothing. And they consistently gave him nothing because they were spinning their wheels trying to get to Fox. I don't think you'll ever have another hero, another championship run as a WWE champion. He might get a few matches here and there. It was a one-off thing. But to see a champion look like me, a WWE champion who looked like me, for 180 days, it's something I'll never forget. Kofi Kingston. Your 2019 Best in the World Award winner. Hyphen Nation is brought to you by Hyphen Podcast Group. Morgantown, West Virginia-based podcast collective bringing great podcasts to the people. HyphenPodcastGroup.com And also by Mark Robert and by my semi-regular co-host, Marcus Show Mad Love Robinson. It is Marcus's blog where he writes about all kinds of things, whether it be pop culture, politics, race, music, you name it. He's probably written about it. You can find that at themarkrob.wordpress.com. Again, that's the M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Hyphen Nation can also be found on your favorite podcast listening platform, wherever podcast or pat or pop pop wherever podcast or podcasted. Like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify. Radio Public, which is making me mad again because 
every time I get near a Wi-Fi source or something, it stops playing, or I got swiped the screen and it stopped playing and it acts like it was going to sleep. You're fucking up Radio Public. Or let me just throw out another one out there. Um, tune in. You can find hyphenation on there as well. Uh, make sure that you are subscribing and reviewing. Leave reviews, please. I will read them, good or bad. I don't mind. And I really, really like it. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, if you would go to Apple Podcasts, find hyphenation, and give me five stars. Uh, because I'm awesome, and you are too. If you give me five stars, that that it's that simple. And also make sure that you tell a friend to tell a friend. Because spreading word about the show, word of mouth is perfectly fine. I'm okay with that. I can handle all that. And then uh, make sure you're talking about this at the water cooler. So maybe tomorrow morning, y'all go to the water cooler. I'm like, yo, can you believe um, that uh, Kellen said Snoop, Snoop Dogg could walk into a KKK rally and come out with 10 friends? Or do you believe that Kellen really picked Kofi Kingston as the best in the world, despite the way it ended and it only being 180 days? And... And me feeling like uh, Will Ospreay or Ricochet or or uh, uh, Cody or, uh, 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 you know, all these other people who wrestle in these other feds had so much better years. Blah, blah, blah. Can you believe him? Like, go do it. Go debate at the water cooler. It's the right thing to do. Okay? Appreciate that. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so hyphen at gmail.com that's b-h-y-p-h-e-n at gmail.com at hyphen on twitter facebook hyphen universe because they won't let me change my name I'm trying to figure that out or facebook.com slash hyphen and you can hit me at the hyphen on instagram if you want to go through hyphen podcast group channels you can do so at hyphen podcast group at gmail.com at hyphen pod group on twitter hyphen podcast group on facebook and hyphen podcast group on instagram just like that. That's right. Oh, man, the power of positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life, no matter what it may be, no matter what you have to do, you got to do you. Yes, sir. It's important. Give people their flowers while they're here. You never know when it's their time to go. Tell people how much they mean to you while they're still here. I just found out that uh, uh, a cousin of mine passed away a while ago, and, and I had I had no clue. He was much older than me, uh, but yeah, he, he he's gone, and I didn't know. And apparently, he did something to, to anger my stepsister and my dad when my when Bonnie passed and everything. I don't know, man. It was a whole thing. I don't know what happened. They really didn't get into it with me. But now he's gone. And it sucks. I mean, we hadn't, we were never close, you know. But I remember him being around for a little bit in the early 90s and stuff. And he spent a lot of time with him. So rest in peace, Tommy. Hopefully you're out of pain, bro, because I know you were out, you were in a lot of pain at times. So hopefully you're out of pain, you're resting easy. And that's why I tell y'all, never know when it's your time to go, man. Give people their flowers and tell them how much they mean to you, man. Call your mom, write your sister, email your dad, um, visit your mom, um, 
who else? Hug your kids, tell them how important they are and how and they're amazing people and they can do whatever they want to do in life. Call your godparents. Write your grandparents a letter. Um, write on your cousin's Facebook wall. Snap your aunt. Uh, appropriate pictures, you weirdos. You know, just just make sure you let people know how much they mean to you while they're still here. Give them their give them their flowers, man. They deserve it. They 100% deserve it. That's all I'm saying. Try to have genuine good interactions with people. With people. Try to have genuine good interactions with people because you never know what the next woman or man is going through. Your kind words could save their life or someone else's life. So always try to remember that. Words of wisdom for today. And I, especially today, had a hard time with patience because I was tired and I was doing all kinds of things. But, you know, just relax, guy. That, that's my words of wisdom. Everything at the end of the world. Relax, gal. Same thing for you. Everything ain't the end of the world, man. Take a deep breath, reevaluate, and go. Everything is not the end of the world. So what if your kid is banging on her toy piano that she's had since she's two? Don't get mad at her. So what if... I don't know. I got nothing... (laughs) So so, what if the thing that's stressing you out is stressing you out? But you know what? It's really not a big deal. Let you just take a breath and let it go, man. Forget it. Forget it. Relax. Let the game come to you. I could have used somebody to tell me that a few times a day. I wasn't that great of a father today. I I was in the sense that I was here. I kept an eye on her. I kept her fed. I talked to her and responded to her and cared for her. At the same time, I ain't want to... She... Bro. It was rough, and she didn't deserve all that. I was probably a little mean when I didn't need to be. But we made it through the day. I thanked her for being a good helper by... Pretty much letting daddy work on all the stuff that he had to do. All the chores and things, you know. But if I just relaxed a little bit, our day would have went a lot smoother. But I just couldn't find that area. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, You know, that's what they say at least. Sheesh. Apologies to Markel Fultz, man. I'm so sorry. I really didn't think the Snoop Lion segment would be that long. So hopefully you don't mind coming back next recording time. And we will get you on and we can talk. Because I'm really dying to talk to you, Markel. Because I'm really dying to talk to you, Markel. So please, Markel, have a little bit more patience. Just relax, guy. I will get you on the show. I promise. I promise. 
So I didn't think this episode was going to happen today. Again, shout out to my kid for for uh, kind of occupying herself while I record the Snoop Dogg section. Recording this after she goes to bed. Angel's Graydon. Supposed to get up with maps tonight and record our Star Wars episode of a podcast called Fresh. But that's not happening tonight. So, Star Wars content is coming. But I'll tell you what. The further away we get from it, the less I care for it. <laughs> and and I don't I don't just mean the rise of Skywalker. I'm just kind of like wow on, on Star Wars everything right now, which is sad because I just got Fallen Order, so I'm gonna have to suck it up, Buttercup. You know, but I'm kind of meh on on all of it right now. But that's neither here or there. We can talk about that another day. Thank you to each and every one of y'all that listened to the podcast, the Barack Obama approved World's Greatest Podcast. It means the world to me. It really does. It's awesome. When I see those plays shoot up, it, it just makes it worthwhile, man, because I was telling E the other night, I was like, man, I've gotten to a point with music where it's like, I don't give a fuck you listen to my music because I'm doing my music for me. It took me years to get there. I'm not there with podcasts. <laughs> I, as much as I enjoy podcasting, I also want to see that somebody's out there listening to me. So shout out to all of y'all that listen to me. It really does mean more than what you know. I promise. LeBron School for Kids. For Gifted Youth. LeBron James Professor X. Y'all ain't ready yet. When your mark gets set. Lay it down as a bet. Dip set, dip set, dip set, dip set. Now that the rhyming hour is over. Shout out to Kofi. Shout out to Snoop. Shout out to Snoop Lion, wherever he may be. And I say all that to say this. Thanks, y'all. This has been a Hyphen Podcast Network production. They're the bestest. I'm getting paid at exposure.